All right. Hello, hello, and welcome back. This is Colin Keeley here. And I'm Brent Sanders. And we are two guys buying and building wonderful internet companies. That's right. And this episode, we're going we're gonna to talk about writing, but also talk about another deep dive that, that Colin, which he just shared with me recently. And I was like, we got to talk about this. I love these. These are they're always fun to, to read. Save me a ton of time from reading a whole book, which I appreciate. But uh, it's also you know, relevant to, to what we're doing. It's always has a lot of like really good takeaways for how we can apply some of the principles. So why don't you want to give us a little background on an A, why you decided to do it and then B, who would, who would. Sure. So this is basically a book summary for Cable Cowboy. So John Malone started rolling up cable companies. When was it? In 1973 to 1996. Basically before the internet and software companies, like these have a lot of similar characteristics. And so he became kind of famous back then for doing it. But yeah, my process was you read the book, took some highlights in the book, wrote a bunch of notes. And then like, it's just a draft that's kind of like sitting in my life for like four months where I slowly clean it up on the weekends, a little bit here, a little bit there. And it just takes me forever to publish. So eventually I set it live. I haven't shared it out yet because I want to make some improvements over the weekend. So it's live on my site. You know, people stumble across it, but I haven't like blasted it out to the world where yeah. you know, thousands of people read it. So we'll talk about it, do some more improvements, and then you know, make it public. More public, so I the, guess. The slow burn technique. Yeah, I I don't know. I It sounds like you're getting into the publishing world now as well. It's like, it's hard to say, this is good. This is done. 100% done, which I just feel like nothing ever is. So it's like, this is kind of done. I'll make it live and then I'll just continue to improve it and then make it better and then send it out. Yeah, I'm, I'm definitely becoming a student of this. Yeah, I guess I wouldn't call it like the, the yeah, the publishing world, I guess, like getting, getting more things out, getting into the habit and practice of writing and publishing. And so I read over the weekend last week, Tiago Forte's Building a Second Brain, which was inspired by getting enrolled in David Perel's, it's like 50 days of writing newsletter. And it's it's been awesome. And it's been super inspiring. And I'm realizing like, you have tons of time to do this. And there's a bunch of cool techniques. But one of the things that I think it's Tiago in Tiago Forte's book is, you know, trying to do the, the, the big you know, explosive lift versus the slow burn. And he's like, go for the slow burn at all times. Like leave these things. They're going to take months and that's okay. Like work on them in, what does he call them? IPs, basically small chunks. Like when you got 15 minutes between meetings, like break the task down into consumable pieces. So you can kind of always work on these things. And I get kind of, I found it, this is actually one of those activities that adds energy to my life versus I thought it would be really draining. Like historically writing has been super draining and it just feels like a bunch of work and it sucks. And then I don't do it. And you know, you write the one blog post about how you're going to write more blog posts. Like that was me, but the practice of gathering notes has been like the, the big change. So yeah, I was asking you like, what's your approach on doing these, uh, assuming you take, you know, read with a Kindle and draw your notes in the same place, but it sounds like you don't. You just kind of write this after you you read it. Yeah, this one was weird because it was an audio. I, I don't know. Do you want to talk about his operating manual? Or should we talk about like the creation process? I think both are interesting. I think Probably both are interesting too. Let's talk about the creation process first and then talk. We'll dive into it. I mean, super interesting. This guy, the Cable Cowboy. I love this the story. And I think it dovetails really well with The Outsiders, which is a book. Yes. I think you and I both didn't finish. I don't know if you finished it. It, it gets a little dry. <laughs> 
I didn't finish it either. I, I've been meaning to. And he's in it. He's one of the, I think, eight outsiders in the mm-hmm. book. Maybe this episode, you want to just talk about the creation process and the next, you know, a dedicated 20, 30 minutes to John Malone. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and like, by the way, I think that's a, an interesting take on this is like him in relation to the other outsiders. Because to me, it's his use of debt, but which, you know, again, is very relevant to what we do and very interesting. But yeah, let's talk about So you read the book on on your honeymoon? On my honeymoon, yeah. Okay. So Beach uh, Read, <laughs> John Malone, yeah. Beach Read. Yeah, I enjoy these nonfictions. I, think, I thought this was pretty cool. So yeah, as long as it's a good entrepreneurial story, I'll read it. I don't read like, you know, business books that are like, I don't know, overly prescriptive or like self-help books. I just find them like draining and not fun to read, but like a, a his- historical yeah. story is cool. Yeah. What is it about? And I, I, they're not, it's not fiction, you know, like the, I don't know, what's a great example, like really good business book, like good to great, you know, it it's, and then there's like dozens just like that. Right. And they, I just can't read them anymore. Cause you know, I think it was our, our good friend, Paul Lee, who said, it's like mental masturbation. It's like, you read these books and you're like, yeah, this is what, this is what business is going to be like, but it's like life is way more nuanced. And it's just like stories that only prove the point and never the exception. And I've just given up on that, that kind of reading. Yeah. Someone called these micro mentors, which is basically what reading like historical biographies are to me. It's like, Mm. you know, sometimes I meet these people or people that work with them now, but many of them, you know, are dead or, you know, soon to be dead and I'll probably never meet them, but they're like, I could learn how they operated and create these operating manuals and like all their takeaways are kind of like effectively being my mentor because we're on similar paths doing similar things. They're just, you know, 50 years ahead of me. Yeah. I think that that is a a great way to look at it. It's like, it's like studying the the math. I think of this in the sense of like art, right? Like Mm -hmm. if you want to become a great artist, great musician, I mean, I guess that's my background of study. You imitate right? You learn how Miles Davis and you imitate his sound and you never end up sounding like him, but you end up being something that's like influence and everybody has these heavy influences. So switching gears to like, if you want to be, you know, like the next John Malone or see similar outcomes, like studying his every move, studying his, you know, inflection on the world is, this is the way to do it. I mean, I I think that's, that still holds true in, in every context, not just art and music. Yeah, that was Picasso. If you look at Picasso's paintings, like over time, initially it was just, you know, just being a really good painter of like real life things and copying other people. And then it just gets weirder and weirder and more and more abstract. Like you got to start somewhere, you kind of master the basics and then you do your own twist on it. So yeah, um, go ahead. I I was going to say, so you you read the book. Are you doing it on a Kindle? Are you doing it on, you know, the, you said it was an audio book this time? You know what I often do is I have both. I'll have the audiobook and I'll have the Kindle book. And so if I want to do notes, I'll do the notes in the Kindle, oh. which I also have on my phone. So it's kind of a mix and it's it doesn't work great like keeping them synced or anything, but I can remember I'm on like chapter 20 and like pick it up kind of where I left off. So I have a bunch of notes that connects to Rome. And so most of the notes are tagged nicely there. And then I just kind of slowly over time compile them into like different categories which is basically how i organize my blog posts because it's like overwhelming to do you know this three thousand five thousand word blog post all at once so it's more like i break it down into a bunch of little paragraphs 
And then I compile those paragraphs into like, how did Malone manage TCI? And then it's like five different subheadings within there. That's great. Yeah. So, I mean, hearing you're already in the practice of like what a lot of these, these gurus that I've been, you know, buying their books and explaining like the Tiago Forte, I think it's the code COD, like collect, organize, distill. I forget what E is probably execute or something along those lines, but, or express. But I think that's the, one of the big things that I've been missing over the, like the last two years, I've been a voracious audiobook consumer. And what I'm learning is like, you just, you can't get the margin notes. You, you lose, like, I remember it, but you're stuck. You can't get that into that other brain or get it into your notes unless you're like, it actually takes more work to kind of paraphrase and remember or go back and find stuff. And so I've actually started rebuying like all my favorite books, the, the ones that are really important to me that made an impact. Like I've been rebuying them for Kindle or I just got a library card in my local town and hopefully, you know, being able to get those things in notes, get those actual lines and references into my notes, into that like repository brain, being able to kind of connect those to other things. I, I realize as we built Avocado Audio that it's like, oh, this is, this is one flaw of audio that it's like you have to almost have the words in order to to give you the, the license to forget it in the sense of like, you can't keep all this in your head. So like getting it in your notes. Yeah. I think people love highlighting and they feel like, oh, this is really valuable because I highlighted it, but then people go crazy and highlight everything. <laughs> like the other way I do it, like when I listen to podcasts is I just have my notes app open and I write down takeaways, like in my own words. So instead of, you know, highlighting five sentences, I wrote like, you know, eight words about something. And that's meaningful. And you could turn that into a tweet or you could write up a blog post after. And those are just like little reminders of little takeaways you had or little thoughts you had while listening to something. Mm. So that's a good way to make it more concrete and not like go crazy with, you know, highlighting a thousand words on every blog post. So for this write-up, going back to the, the Cable Cowboy, how, how big was the book? Is it like 400 pages is my guess? Something like that. This is rather long. You know, when you do an audio book or you do a Kindle, you have absolutely no idea. How oh, long that's right. Is. Yeah. Um, so I don't know how big it is, but I feel like it was a big book. So six, seven hours, something like that. Uh, 336 pages. Maybe not okay. as big as I would have guessed. But yeah, he's a, a famous allocator, much more of an allocator than an operator. Like he basically delegated all operations to his seat. And then he had one of the best performances of all time, which is why he's an outsiders. And yeah, you know, we'll talk about him more in the future, but why he's relevant is he like at the time, basically everyone focused on earnings per share, which is like at the bottom of the income statement. And he focused on EBITDA. So earnings before interest, taxes, depreciation, and amortization, which is you know what everyone in private equity and business now talks about. But that was a crazy novel idea back then. And <laughs> it was like really stumping all the stock analysts, like why he was doing this, because he's operating in such a weird way. Yeah. It's interesting. And so as you're going through and putting this, so transitioning from, you know, you, you put together, I'm assuming you put together your notes based on, as you said, in your notes app, based on the audio you're listening to. I mean, if you're doing it on a vacation, you got to come back to it later. And then like, what's the process for organizing this into like what you think, you know, cause it's like a book report, right? You, but you don't want to rewrite the book. You basically want to pull out the most relevant things to you and your audience. 
like your take on why this was a compelling book. Yeah, this one I maybe went too far in the like line of telling a story, which in the past I haven't really spent as much time with. Um, hmm. And normally I just like pull out the takeaways and how someone operates a business. But I did focus a lot on like how he came to be where he was, which I thought was kind of interesting as well. Like he spent some time at McKinsey. I thought he had interesting takeaways there. You know, why he actually chose to jump into this industry, spend some time in that. But yeah, my general process is, you know, take my notes, basically throw them all into a Google Doc and then start writing section by section. And I, you know, maybe I should spend like, I'm going to finish it this weekend. Instead, I was much more like, you know, 15 to 30 minutes over the course of probably six or more days. Like mm. it took me a long time. And then it got to a state where it was just kind of sitting for maybe a month. And it was like, I just have to set this live. And even today, it's like, I want to make some improvements over the weekend. So it's live, but you know, not really quite yet. Yeah. I'm just curious, like from a, a workflow perspective, like how do you allocate time to do this? Like, do you like to clear the morning out and say, hey, I'm going to knock this out and, and put my, my high energy to this? Or is this something that you're able to break down into smaller chunks and do it like after lunch when you're low energy, potentially, you know, not, not sure if you, you know, eat a cheeseburger every day for lunch and fall asleep, but generally the morning is like the, the high energy time for me. Yes, that's exactly what I do. I find writing to be like the most intellectually difficult thing I do. So I, I try not to, you know, I definitely look at email, but I try not to look at email, Twitter, anything as much in the morning. I try to just jump into writing and get some time in whether it's writing a blog post like this or writing a thread or something. And I generally do it in the morning and then also in the evening, just when I have some like quiet time to do like 30 minutes of writing here or there. Is that like a couple, like an hour before bed? Like Yeah, which maybe isn't ideal to be staring at a screen, but I have my orange goggles on and it seems to work okay. Although I don't do it maybe as often as I, I should. Yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, sometimes like staying up late, I know, you know, you, 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 you're pretty disciplined about your sleep, but like staying up later than, and for me, staying up late is like, I'm going to stay up till 10. Oh yeah. But like 9 yeah. PM kids are in bed. You get that hour. And sometimes it's like super productive. Again, no one's emailing you. That being said, like, I think there's, there's a lot of value in just shutting all the things off. Like I get nervous about shutting off my email because, you know, part of my responsibility is, you know, monitoring things, monitoring our businesses, making sure things stay up. Not that we, have outages, but that's always in the back of my mind with like, cause I've thought about like, I'm just going to delete, you know, Gmail from my, my phone. I'm going to delete everything and just kind of disconnect it. But I'm like, well, what if there's an issue I got to get on? So I think that's, that's an inspiration to build better process, but still there's something to that like late night session where, you know, you can, you can get a ton done. I, I don't know like what, for me, that's like one day a week turns into that. And it's like, you know, cherished time. So how's it been now that you're in this like writing world? I like it. I, to be honest, I'm happier. I, so like, I think we should shift the discussion to like media diet. I think that's been the biggest change has been getting away from the right now. Like I checked out like five books from the library. I bought three or four on my, you know, I bought a Kindle. That's probably the biggest change was like realizing that you can, you know, capturing notes and, and getting into like that second brain has been it's made me feel really happy to be honest like the the reading experience taking even 15 minutes like I've been trying to grab 
you know, time between things. Like you can't really code in between like a 15 minute session. I, I same thing as you writing, like I got to do that in the morning or I got to like set out an hour and a half at least to like push a feature or fix something or dive into something really intellectual, which is left all these like 10, 15, 20 minute slots for things that I would never really give myself the license to dig into something for some reason. So having the Kindle, having like stuff, you know, multiple threads kind of, or books going and, and getting that 15 minutes is like totally recharged me. So I feel way better. And we'll also stop reading the news. <laughs> that's anything that's like right now. So Twitter, I've never, I didn't really read a ton of Twitter, but Twitter, Reddit, I'd go on Facebook from time to time, you know, no Instagram or TikTok, but still like all those sort of right now, like, what do they call them? Like anytime pools where you can just pull your, your attention into infinitely gotten rid of those. And that's had a huge impact. And I've start, I've finished one article, which was actually a summation based of a YouTube video, but you know, I have a three or four more started and it, it's made me a lot happier. And I think it's, it's less the writing. It's more so the, the not consuming junk. And, you know, I think Perel and, and Forte both talk about this of like, you start looking at the world again, like I was a musician in a past life and, you know, or just a creative, I would say. And it's like, when you're in that mindset, you're constantly looking for things to like put into your art, put into your output. And that's putting that, those glasses back on has felt really good where it's like, I've, I'm way more interested in diving into different things and specifically reading things and interested in ways that I can connect them to the existing things that I'm interested in or like I like to pursue. So it's, it's yeah, in short, it's made me happier. Yeah. So on the media diet front, I would say the biggest like place that I consume stuff is Twitter. And the way to make yourself not go crazy there is to <laughs> mute or block, or I think it's mute, mute words that are just like inflammatory. So like any political topics, I do yeah. most sports because I want it to be like more focused on business and like intellectually stimulating things. And so like, mm -hmm. you know, really curating who you follow. So it's just people that like bring you energy. And I have even some friends. It's like, look, man, your, your Twitter is just too <laughs> negative. I can't follow you anymore. <laughs> it's nothing personal. It's just what you're writing. It's nothing personal. It's just your thoughts that you're publishing to the world. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I I would like to get back into it. I think it's it's again. I'd rather spend time on not what's going on right now. I think there's to to your point about or to like the impetus for reading this or writing this book summary. It's like this stuff happened years and years and years ago. And look at all the value here versus like there's just been so much fixation on right now on what what is happening today. I mean. Supreme Court, the news, all this stuff that's just clouding everything. And it's taking the same amount of energy out of like what you could be consuming, reading or doing. So I think digging there, I'm still on the hunt for like a better diet. Like books sometimes don't scratch the itch. I, I Sometimes I want something that's a little bit easier to like get into or even like communicate with other people. Like I do have that craving to like talk with people in like very specialized ways and in, in, in the sense of like, you know, people that I don't have on Slack or chat with, or, you know, text like people that I otherwise wouldn't. And that attraction 
to Twitter is there. It's just, yeah, I gotta, I gotta up my game from a, a mute list perspective. I mean, that's, that's the biggest thing, but you know, sharing ideas, I feel like will be a good way to like publishing more articles, doing it through Twitter, I think will be good to attract more of those, like those exchanges. Like if you put out content, I feel like there's no better way than to find your, your sort of niche of, of similar or, you know, like-minded folks, which by the way, I'm not trying to find, you know, everyone who's got the same perspective as me. I'm trying to find people that are just interested in similar things. Yeah. I mean, Twitter's a spot. There's tons of people doing what we're doing on Twitter with like different flavors of like, maybe they're rolling up doggy daycares or something, but like their Mm -hmm. takeaways are very applicable to things we're doing. So that's been great. And like, as far as publishing, like the two different writing guys that are popular now are David Perel and Dickie Bush. And they kind of have a little different approaches. David Perel is much more about the long form, like publishing your blog. He has some like your refined stuff on Twitter, see what resonates and then publish long form. But Dickie Bush is much more, you know, if you write only on your blog, then no one's going to see it because you're kind of a nobody, at least initially. And so write threads on Twitter. And then at least it's more social, you get more feedback. And then you could publish your know, long form if you want, but you know, publishing publicly is really what he's pushing. Yeah, you know, going back to what you said about Perala, because I just saw this, he's got that that content pyramid or content triangle, which mm-hmm. is like the 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 first layer of that, which I've, I've started using and, and actually found it to be a great way to have better conversations, but it's just that like talk to people about maybe even before you write, like as you're distilling your notes out and being like, I'm, I'm thinking of writing about this. I'm thinking of sharing about this, like just talking to people. And again, Twitter is probably a great place for that of like being able to just throw some ideas up. But what he's been saying is like conversation, you get some feedback, then sharing things like sharing articles over email and then actually like using those filters of like other people to gauge interest and like, which I guess is weird because you should probably be writing for yourself to an extent. But I think if you're, if your desire is for more engagement, you're going to want to like run this by people to make sure you're not out, out on the deep end of like, you know, some weird topic that nobody really cares about. Yeah, it's also really hard to sit with a blank page. It's way easier to like after you know you and I or you and someone else have a conversation and you covered a bunch of stuff to sit down and like write it. So one of their ideas is like don't sit down unless it's eighty percent done in your mind, which mm. I don't know if I agree with entirely, but it's certainly an easier way to produce stuff in the world. It's just like write what you know or write what you've already discussed, and then uh, you know it moves much faster. For sure. Yeah. I mean, so. Going into like note collection, I know you're a rabid Rome fan and you have been. So you've been on the Rome tip for like three years now? Yeah, something like that. Although I'm not, I like the setup of Rome. I'm not like married to Rome as a software. Like LogSec, I think is the open source version that just raised a bunch of money. Yeah, I'm sure they're going to crush Rome and I'll probably move to them over time because they're actually producing stuff. So Rome works Mm. great for me, but they, they haven't really improved they finally launched a mobile app, which is just so-so. So I still use the iOS like default notes app and bring stuff over to Rome because it's faster. But yeah, I mean, that's I, I do most of my work throughout the day as in like taking notes on meetings or like distilling my thinking in Rome. And then I you know grab it and move it other places kind of as needed. Hmm. I'm curious, what does your Rome account look like now? Now that you've, you've been in there for years, is it, if somebody saw it, would it just be like, oh my God, this is the most unorganized mess? Or is it, 
is it super like i don't even know are you like a very organized person i would say i'm a pretty organized person yeah but i i wouldn't say it's mostly just i use the daily notes pages and i take notes on different things throughout the day so it'd be mm-hmm. like you know three meetings listen to this blog post or listen to this podcast take some notes on that you know some ideas around something or other that maybe turn into a thread in the future so it's not i wouldn't say it's super messy anyone could look through it and like kind of understand how my day went um but it, it has been super valuable like we had an idea that we were going to run by our lawyer and I looked back and was like, oh, we actually had this discussion, you know, 12 months ago with our lawyer. <laughs> you just saved us money. <laughs> and, you know, here's all my notes from it. And we don't have to reach out to him now. Yeah, that's a killer feature. I mean, just being able to, that's that concept of that second brain that, you know, if it pays dividends, you know, huge dividends over time, because it's like everything's there. And it's, and it's, it, as long as you can find it, then you're organized. Like that's my litmus test for organization is like, you know, that and just make sure you don't keep changing your, your organization. There's like a thing that I've identified in the past that somebody pointed out to me. It's like changing an organization style is just another form of procrastination. Yeah, that was big. Tiago was always talking about that. Like people spend way too much time, which is kind of funny because what he recommends is spending way too much time organizing your notes. And that's probably where we differ the most is like, I just like Rome because I just jump in and write. I don't have to spend any time thinking like, oh, is it this, you know, project or whatever he calls area, whatever he calls different things. Rome's great because it's just all in your daily notes and you tag things kind of as you work through them. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. I- I'm curious. Do you, do you track like the not soft skill stuff, but like, you know, emotion, energy level. I know some people do like they track carefully. They're like how they feel that day. Is that part of what you, you put into Rome or is that? No place for that in your in your room. No, I don't really do that stuff as much. I maybe should. I mean, just because professionally, like my memory is so good, you know, and those meetings, but maybe personal meetings, I should be tracking more and like, you know, stories people tell me, but I, I haven't really. Is that something you do? I've, I've, I track emotion, like a journal, like I track, like I try to do on a daily basis, but get in the habit of like, how do I feel in order to just understand, like, why do I feel the way I do? Some days you're just in a bad mood. Right. And it's like, that bothers the shit out of me of like, Hey, I did everything right. I slept, I ate, I worked out, I did my routines and I still have like a, a, a foul attitude and it affects the people around me. And, you know, whether you try to or not, it still like has an impact on you. And I found it to be helpful. Yeah, I do do that. So I, I don't do it. I've kind of fallen off a little bit where I, I go down to more like a weekly recap of where I'm at, but especially during the pandemic, because I had a lot of time to like, you know, be home and like notice things versus like going out. But uh, yeah, I think I'm, I I don't know if you've ever noticed this, but I'm generally like kind of a moody person, but I've been definitely like working on trying not to be moody, moody in the sense that it's like, I have control over myself and my emotions, but it's like, you know, some days you just walk, wake up on the wrong side of the bed or something just triggers you in the sense of like you notice it more than it, you should i don't know maybe this is like the inner larry david but uh, it's a lot of things that you know you notice and you're like oh if you take note or journal them you can kind of figure out and connect the dots it's like okay set myself up for you know this situation and it's always yourself but uh, i find it to be valuable nice yeah you don't seem you don't seem like a terribly moody person. You're pretty even. I'm not keel. even keeled. 
Yeah. Even keel. <laughs> no, I generally wake up feeling about the same, always in a pretty good mood. Things don't really get to me. It's generally why I do well on like, you know, podcasts. I get asked hard questions. I don't get riled up or like, I, I love negotiations. I don't really take anything personally. Uh, sure. I, I think that's pretty much innate. I don't think I've, it's something I've ever cultivated or really worked on. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. That's great. I mean, it's like, you, you think you're just born with it or you think it's maybe more so like basketball days, maybe Th- those are high pressure situations. I mean, it's just like nothing will ever compare to, you know, getting beaten up on a basketball court and winning or losing or whatever. That's probably, you know, a reasonable chunk of it. I've also had some really bad coaches, like in all my <laughs> days playing sports where people just scream at you. And so you just get like pretty desensitized, maybe at a very young age, you know, soccer coaches, basketball coaches. Yeah. Oh God. I'm not looking forward to that for my kids because I know they're going to go through some sport of some sort but as of right now my my oldest is you know crying on the the soccer field and you know basically sitting on the ground so maybe maybe we won't see a future in sports oh i think everyone has to play sports especially now i think all like the you know the crazy things going on in society is because people are just staring at their phones all day long i think people should just be forced into like look your phone has to be away from you for two hours and you have to (laughs) run outside in the sun like i don't care what sport it is but you know, bodily movement is required for humans. Yeah. In some form or another. Yeah. Well, we're getting that. I mean, he's, he crushes it on the, on the trampoline and, you know, runs around like a maniac, but once you give him structure, I mean, he's only three, I don't know why they even have soccer for three-year-olds. It's like, it gives us something to, to get, you know, get out of the house for, I guess, but organizing sports that way is, is not there yet, but yeah, I'm looking forward to, you know, never coaching anything. Cause it sounds like you can fuck people up pretty bad. <laughs> yeah. On that note, I think that's all I got. I know it's been a little meandering, but it's been good to kind of like understand now that I'm digging into like the publishing world a little bit more understanding what you're, cause I would say you, you've been successful at this. Like you've seen success with these operating manuals. Like you've gone viral with your, your content. And that's kind of like the point of it. Right. And I shouldn't say that's the point of it. I think I'm realizing the point of it is like, it actually feels like you're you're productive and it's it's a good use of time to to learn but then sharing that output i think that's that's like the fun part yeah the coolest part so i've yeah i've seen a lot of benefits from it the coolest part is like i write one on someone and then i get people reaching out saying i work for this firm i am that person or you know yeah. something like that and I get to meet with them and like learn more details, which I never want someone to treat me like a journalist. So I don't publish like our conversations or like add those details to it. But it's been super cool just getting to know people that are interested in the same thing. And I don't have yeah. to like, you know, do any effort besides publishing. But yeah, cool. That's all I got. Sounds good. Well, thanks for listening, folks. I think that's yeah. it. Take care, everyone. Bye-bye.